This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from the magic of a full bottle of Tylenol. Nice. Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that is Kitson Kelly. You want to say hi? Hello. I'm coming from Australia in the morning, so everybody else is in the after evening, and I'm stuck here with my coffee. Whew. I think it's pretty early there, isn't it? It's 7.30, yeah. Oh, so not, not terrible, terrible, but early. Um, now, I think last time I talked to you, you were somewhere in the Midwest. I was in London last time. <laughs> oh, okay. I get around. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, London last time, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, um, we read this article on the SitePen blog. And before the show, you mentioned you're no longer with SitePen, uh, due mainly to your move to Australia. But um, you want to just kind of give us an update on where you're at now and what you're doing, and then we'll dive into this article. Yeah, so I um I, I relocated to Australia and I joined uh, ThoughtWorks, um, uh, which has a presence all over the globe. Um, uh, but um, they were looking for uh, folks in Australia, and uh, I wanted to be in Australia, and so I joined um, and am a principal technologist and working with uh, folks in Australia trying to figure out their uh, strategies from a technology perspective. Right. So anyway, you, you wrote a couple of articles about choosing uh, web frameworks, and I thought it was kind of interesting just from the, you know, some of the ideas that you put in here. One of them was um, if we chose our JavaScript framework like we chose our music, which I think most people listen to a mix of what their parents listen to and what their friends listen to. <laughs> That's what came to mind on that one. Um, and then we also have just frame web frameworks conclusions. And so I, I'm curious. Um, when we start talking about JavaScript frameworks, where where do you tend to start? Well, I, I think that was uh, the question that sort of, particularly SitePen sort of focused on front-end development. That was the perennial question. It, it usually wasn't, what should we choose? It was usually, um, I want to use this or this, which one should I use? And um, the, between, you know, Dylan and myself got kind of tired of answering that question because it was never a sort of elevator uh, sort of question that you could answer like, oh, well, yeah, this, um, because there's a million questions that you'd have to answer. And I think the thing that we wanted the challenge was um, oftentimes people trivialize uh, that decision um, and go, oh, because they they read, you know, a blog post somewhere um, that, you know, you know, React is the greatest thing since sliced bread or, you know, Angular is, uh, um, you know, it's developed by Google. So, you know, that we should do what Google does. 
Um, and, you know, they, they would often take one aspect of uh, choosing a, a JavaScript framework. And we sort of always have said, well, it actually, it depends, right? You know, there isn't, there's a reason why there are lots of frameworks and there's a lot of churn is because people's needs um, and teams' needs uh, uh, evolve over a period of time. So um, what we wanted to do was really explore it. So the one about choosing your music is the start of a series of 11 posts, um, which concludes with the conclusions. And uh, of course, everybody sort of jumps to the end and reads the end chapter. Um, and, and that was the one that caused the most controversy because um, uh, it was people had their religions uh, from a JavaScript framework perspective uh, and, and we're like, oh, you, you didn't consider this. You know, we got a lot of, you know, well, well this framework is, 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 is better than all these other ones that you reviewed. Um, and it was like, well, that's not the point. What we tried to do was take six of the popular ones and really challenge how you needed to look at the breadth of them and give people information that kind of hopefully raise more questions about about it. Um, but uh, all the fights were about the last article. <laughs> I was really like surprised to see that you included six of them because everybody kind of just is usually like, you know, view Angular, React, but uh, you included Docker uh, 2, which we talked about before. Um, and then you also included Ember. And what was the other one? Aurelia. Aurelia. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I was really shocked that you guys did uh, all six. Like, have you, hopefully I'm not jumping ahead, but I'm kind of curious, like, because I know you guys do consulting. Have you guys actually recommended um, one of the three less popular ones to be here? And, and if so, why? Um, I mean, obviously, because we were uh, developing, you know, Dojo2. Um, we've used Dojo2 at a, a number of customer sites, um, mostly because it, it, it meets our specific needs really well. So especially in situations where, where we were leading the development, um, it, we've been actively uh, using Dojo2, where there's a larger team, um, we, we look at it. I, I mean, admittedly, we haven't uh, recommended Aurelia to uh, anybody. Um, and Ember, in a lot of cases, you, you find that there's an established ecosystem. Um, yep. If they're reactor, uh, Ruby on Rails shop, probably or something. Yeah, um, and we haven't necessarily challenged that. You know, it's you know that that's a lot of people have this uh, sort of pressure put upon them of oh, uh, you know, it's the fear of missing out. You know, if you're not using React um, immediately, um, then you're you're making you know you're making a mistake. So why don't you rewrite all of your applications in React, right? Um, so I, I think it, um, even in a lot of cases, which some of the comments were in there of, um, you know, well, there's a lot of people that use jQuery still. And it's like, yes, and that's valid. And, you know, there's a lot of people that use Dojo One still, um, and that's valid, too. Um, but um, a lot of it was how do you make that decision? And in most cases, it's it's never definitive. I mean, I think, Amy, you were saying earlier that, um, you know, it, it it's a it tends to be a very collaborative process uh, that you have to go through and, and sort of not one size fits all. Definitely. So, so I guess which I one could... is the best? What is the best? Yeah, and and, and I, I mean we kept that would be the one that um, uh, we get drawn on a, a, a lot. You know, we, well, okay, so what is the best one? Um, I, I mean, I think of the major ones. You know, Angular. Um, 
I mean, if and this is a lot of personal opinion um, uh, that gets injected in here. Angular, a lot of people grabbed it, um, and I think it trades far more on on who is behind it than it does on its merits. Um, and particularly with Angular JS, uh, we saw a lot of situations that sort of promoted what we would call anti-patterns, um, particularly about the way um, dependencies are injected is, is is something that we're not a big fan of. Um, uh, and, um, uh, you know, Angular, Angular made it easy to develop single page applications, but it was really came out of people who were very comfortable with a very um, view centric uh, view of the world and a very um, uh, you know, almost drag and drop uh, view of, of the world. And so we think, you know, the feeling is, is Angular oftentimes becomes, it, it works really well. Um, uh, but uh, if you're trying to really align your front end to how you consume uh, backend services and that sort of thing, you, you can often get a, a challenge in the disconnect and maintainability long term. Um, but, you know, Angular is is really popular. There's a huge amount of skill set available um, in the marketplace. Um, and uh, you can get some really solid applications um, out of it. Um, you know, if if we weren't doing Dojo 2, uh, I think invariably we'd probably be in the React Redux uh, camp uh, for the most part, um, because React and Redux um, uh, are the patterns that we like to see. We really like the reactive uh, architecture. We think that that's a really long-term maintainable way. The, the biggest challenge with React is it requires a lot, a lot of uh, skill. Um, you need really uh, smart people early on to make decisions because it's quite easy to create applications that are unmaintainable because it's so flexible. I mean, React and Redux are nothing but um, tool sets versus a framework. It, you know, I, I, I think they're tools that help you build um, uh, applications, but there's about a million decisions you have to make. How are you going to manage your CSS? How are you going to, uh, you know, your build pipeline? All of that is all really super flexible. Um, and that with flexibility comes a lot of danger. If you don't have the right sort of uh, process to start, you could end up with, if you're an enterprise that has um, 20 different React projects going on, you could easily have 20 different applications that if somebody went from one team to the other, they wouldn't have any idea how to how to work or maintain. So you have to establish a lot of convention, which unlike Angular, you could probably drop somebody in an Angular app um, and uh, they'd probably get, be able to figure their way around. So kind of another question too that I was going to ask that, I don't know, it just kind of dawned on me today. So I've heard like people say, you know, especially people, um, we were talking about this at NG Atlanta that I was just at last week that typically you see like startups going React route and maybe more like uh, established companies going the Angular route. But I also was really curious if you think that like certain domains or like certain certain problem sets would lend themselves better to a certain framework. And I know we've like, we on this podcast have had this discussion a million different ways. So this is just maybe like a new question that I hadn't thought of before. I'm guessing the answer is no, but I don't know. No, I, I think, I think yes. Right. Um, but that's one point of it. You know, I, I think, um, uh, yeah, different problems, different domains. I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I think that's part of the reason why we have so many JavaScript frameworks because they they scratch different itches in different ways. 
Um, and um, uh, so I, I think you're absolutely right, Amy, that that, that there's probably different uh, domains of problems. Um, but it's it, that's one aspect of it is you know what type of application you're building and and one of the articles we uh, earlier in the series we actually touch on you know are you building a mobile first app are you building a consumer facing website are you building a, a a sort of enterprise back office application and and those were kind of our three main uh, use cases um, and each of the frameworks has has strengths in different ways uh, around that. Yeah, I mean, I guess like React was like born out of a specific problem in their domain. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, exactly, and and I, I mean that's the the challenge I think with with uh, some of the frameworks too is is they're they're often built to uh, uh, fix a particular problem, um, and you know React was Facebook's problem of creating components on a web page. Uh, uh, and the Redux sort of came later because it was a different pattern. And, and this is the challenge that we have in JavaScript as a whole is, is the amount of churn that goes and the popularity uh, that ebbs and flows because, you, you know, it's two years ago, it would have been uh, React plus, um, oh, I forgot what it was called, um, that, uh, but Redux came along and uh, uh, Dan Abramoff um, uh, Got you know wasn't part of Facebook at the time you know it, it became really popular and became the pattern um, and and then you you see that the, the previous pattern is like okay that's no longer good you know I mean people commented on the article it's like oh well you know a lot of people still use Backbone yeah yeah you're right a lot of people still use Backbone um, <laughs> uh, and there's things that you know and jQuery things we don't talk about anymore that you know a few years ago if you didn't have them on your resume you you weren't considered uh, a good uh, a developer that makes sense i'm, I'm kind of curious you know you, you talk about okay well we'd probably wind up doing react but you know amy asked the question are there certain no problem domains that apply and your answer is mostly yes so given that it may matter what i'm doing in fact it probably matters what i'm trying to do how do i go about evaluating this right how do i go through the process that you went through in these articles to say okay this is this is the framework that we're going to go with, and here are the solid or valid reasons why. And I, my advice would be to you know start at that beginning, and I I think we it, why it's eleven uh, points. We wanted to cover the gamut of everything that was uh, that we kind of considered valid considerations, right? From how you create UI elements, how you manage a user experience end to end with your design teams, um, you know, how, you know, what the community is is like as far as, you know, when you need help, are you going to be able to get it? Um, because, you know, it isn't, you know, frameworks aren't for Christmas, you know, they're for life uh, in a lot of cases, or at least a couple of years. Um, you know, so you you become dependent upon the community that 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 supports it um, and accessibility. You know how easy it is to get to training, and then you may have specific domain considerations like you know how do you address accessibility? You may well, hopefully everybody addresses accessibility, um, but um, they all take a different approach to that. Um, how much do you want out of the box components that you just uh, drop into your application versus um, you know how uh, how much you you're requirements are to really develop things um, uh, and you're very opinionated from how your UX is going to be. Um, 
so I think the, um, uh, the if you know start at the beginning of the uh, you know the article series, and we think the areas is go through, and even if you're not choosing one of the six frameworks, or you don't even share the opinion that we have of the six frameworks, I think it's a really good way to step through that and see if you can answer those uh, questions um, uh, yourself and say, okay, we understand the reasons why why we did it. Um, so I think in in a lot of way, from a site plan perspective, we kind of gave away our secret sauce of, of how we sort of uh, evaluate uh, frameworks. But um, uh, at the same time, you, you know, if it's to collect that information and have uh, experts that kind of know the wide range of what the options are, then, you know, SitePen um, is a, a good organization to, to help you step through that process. So here's a, a sidestep in question. When is it important just to get to work? no matter what the framework is, and when is it important to figure out if a framework is right first? Yeah, I think I think that's one of those uh, challenges is usually a answer is better than no answer. Um, and um, oftentimes, I think we spend a lot of time debating what the best answer is when, in fact, you, you've got um, a customer or a project deadline um, and getting something is, is better than nothing. I mean, I think that's the, you know, they're all built on JavaScript. Um, uh, I, I think, um, uh, you know, a lot of it, the thing that I've given advice to, especially individuals who, who, who are trying to choose something, um, or even, you know, if it's a single team, the best thing to do is choose three or four frameworks, um, you know, do a technical spike. Um, if you can't get an app working in sort of uh, half a day, um, then it's probably not the right framework for you, right? Um, you should, you know, and, and narrow that list down fairly quickly. Um, I, you know, I, you know, if you're a larger thing, you, you could spend a week, maybe two weeks, um, uh, figuring things out and making sure that you're kicking things off in the right way. But um, yeah, if you're in endless sort of uh, pseudo-religious debates about what the best thing to do is, you, you're probably wasting your time. Is it ever appropriate to not even use a framework, or you know, to, to back off and use? I don't know if I really even think of jQuery as a framework as much as just a utility. I guess it kind of straddles the line. But anyway, is it ever appropriate to you know go back to just some tried and true technology that's really old or nothing at all and just JavaScript it from scratch? Yeah, I think um, for the functionality of the language, right? JavaScript has has radically moved um, over the last uh, few years. Um, the challenge, and and we we talk about it in the conclusions article, that the challenge becomes how comfortable are you in the long term sort of uh, uh, sort of shimming over the the, um, uh, the 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 lumpiness that we still find in the browser world, right? Um, for a lot of uh, organizations supporting at least IE 11 uh, historically is still a, a requirement. And, and it, it, you've got to sort of assess what your ability and your desire, um, you know, the you know, it's like every, you know, every year now, um, you know, TC39 um, delivers us uh, new uh, functionality in JavaScript. Um, but you also have the, the, the DOM and the, and the browser behavior and, uh, and CSS that you are other two technologies that you have to, to sort of manage. So, um, you know, there's definitely been a movement to do the, you know, vanilla JavaScript uh, sort of thing. Uh, I think in a lot of cases that can still be really intimidating, right? How do I structure an application? How do I provide consistency? And if the team or the group of people you're working with 
um, uh, have a clear opinion about how to do that, then I think it's good to, to go frameworkless. Um, but if you need, you know, something to help you guide you to a pattern that is reusable that you might be able to maintain over the long term and or as a company organization you want to have a common language of uh, what skill sets you need to go out there it can be really challenging to say oh i you know just know javascript because it's javascript and css and you know and how you develop applications it's, it's far easier to sort of boil that down to do you know react right um, or do you know angular um, uh, and and so that that's where um, uh, the spectrum is there. I think for enterprise development, large scale team development, you probably should use something that you feel is going to be there tomorrow as far as a framework, because it's going to be far easier to structure your applications in a way. If you're doing work on your own, you know, use the tools that you're most comfortable with, be it jQuery, be it vanilla JS, be it... Um, you know, bootstrap, be it React and Redux, right? Whatever, whatever works for you is probably better than, than uh, feeling uh, like, like if you don't have Angular on your resume, that you're, you're going to not be a good web developer. So you just said something, you want to pick something that will quote, be there tomorrow. And I have two comments, questions about this one. I mean, isn't everything going to be there tomorrow? It's all open source that, you know, it's that, even if they remove the organization from GitHub, it's going to be mirrored somewhere. And two, um, what I mean, like, what, what does that what does that mean, or what does that matter? Like, if I build my application, I'm done. And 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 that, that's a it, it, it truly if you're done, done, and there isn't a long term maintainability concern. I mean, especially in enterprise, we we see a situation where. These things evolve, you know, the, the, uh, over a long period of time, and they have lifetimes, you know, business backend office business applications that have a lifetime of, of, of you know, 10, 15 years in some cases, right? Um, uh, and they can't be rewritten every year when the latest and greatest comes out, right? So that there's that that the, part of it is what you're doing. If you're creating a consumer-facing web application, you know, that's a mobile application that is a point in time. And if it gets changed out tomorrow for something else, who cares, right? Um, it, it, then, you know, that, that maintainability concern becomes less. Um, the tomorrow is, that that's the, the, the challenge, right? The browsers are going to kind of evolve. If the underlying framework, um, if you're expecting it to continue to evolve as the web evolves, then you have to be a little bit more careful because you're right, is, is you're right, it's open source code. But if the community moves on, and this was one of the things that kind of got debatable in the conclusions article, is, is we said you need to consider, particularly with Vue.js and Aurelia, um, that from the code development perspective, they appear to be um, very contingent upon one individual. And if that individual were to stop maintaining it, the framework would, in our opinion, stop evolving. Um, and a lot of the rest of the community of both uh, Vue.js and Aurelia said, well, that's not true. It's a really active community. And the challenge was, you know, was we were measuring that based on what we saw as committed code in the repos. And I think there's, there's still a risk there that you, you need to look at that, right? You, you know, if you're fine at not being being maintained tomorrow, um, 
you know, then it's fine to choose it. If you're expecting that it to be maintained uh, and there be an upgrade path, um, which is like one of the strengths that Ember has had, is, is they continue to give you the guidelines of how to keep your uh, application upgradable over multiple versions of Ember, right? Um, which is probably more important for enterprise development where the team members change out um, over years um, and you want something that you can maintain over a long period of time. But that isn't always the consideration for everything, which is why context matters so much in these decisions. This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. So looking at these uh, these frameworks and, you know, where things have gone and where they're going, um, I'm curious, you know, wh- where are we going to wind up over the next few years? Are we, I mean, because things have somewhat stabilized around kind of the big three frameworks. Um, so... You know, do we just kind of see movement between the three or do, do you think there's going to be something else, you know, that's kind of the next evolution in um, frameworks beyond just, oh, well, we're doing components these days? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing that's so fragmented at the moment um, still um, is the, the, the tooling, right? We, we went from a, a, a situation where. Um, uh, years ago, you needed a functional library like jQuery um, to give you at least a, a, a base level of usability uh, with the uh, APIs that we had available um, for the web. Um, and tooling wasn't really a consideration. You, you basically put your code up on a server and um, it downloaded to the browser and, and uh, web applications were, were a bit simpler then. And, and things like uh, code splitting and, and um, uh, uh, bundling and, and all of that weren't huge considerations. You fast forward now and the tooling, the build pipeline, um, we've gotten a level of maturity in the language that has moved it towards a more traditional type of language where I, I don't think there's any real serious um, projects where all you do is hit uh, F5 in your browser to refresh it, right? In, in a lot of cases, you're having you're using things like webpack and rollup and uh, um, uh, uh, and tooling like that to, to create your your bundles and do your code splitting and all of that sort of thing but it's still but the problem is it's still very fragmented it's still in a lot of cases very much uh, DIY um, and uh, it, I, I think that's where the big challenge we should see a step in evolution over that and and maybe even a, a level of of of, uh, uh, standards around uh, how we do tooling. Um, Module loading, uh, I mean, I could talk forever about the the state of uh, ES modules um, and um, how that's still uh, fragmented and, and, and unclear how we're ever going to get to a situation where we can figure out how to load a module into a browser in an efficient manner. Um, and and so there's bits where the standards need to continue to evolve. So I, I think it'll be less about the front 
and how you build the component and more about how we actually create that pipeline from how I author code as a developer uh, to it being uh, something that is performant and manageable in, in the browser. Um, but um, yeah, and we may very well see things around how you know, things like React were specifically designed to work around perceived uh, performance challenges around uh, creating components in the browser. Um, but at the same time, we've now finally got the sort of standards around web components. Um, and they're actually in uh, all the Greenfield uh, browsers. Uh, uh, and um, uh, we, we can now create rich components without um, uh, doing things like uh, abstracting ourselves with a, a from a virtual DOM. Uh, so I, you know, there's, there will always be churn. I mean, I think if everybody, if you go back six years ago and everybody, somebody would have said, uh, Oh, jQuery, you know, we're going to be using jQuery for the next 10 years. Um, <laughs> they obviously, you know, you know, it's the Bill Gates, you know, you only need 64 K. Um, so there, there's, um, uh, there will be changes and I'm not going to predict it. <laughs> Well, I would say that jQuery is probably the most mm, boring in the best way possible uh, tool. You know, it's been around, it's staying around, it's probably not going anywhere except down in code size as the additions to the DOM spec make less code necessary in it. Yes, and and I mean... That's probably a consideration if you're looking for something longevity wise is, you know, how are they going to hollow it out as the standards um, uh, evolve? So I was going to like diverge on the framework discussion and see, are there any um, like things as far as tooling that you recommend for teams? Because I know um, based on conversations I've had with some site people that uh, you guys are um really enjoy using TypeScript. So, um, and I know like from what I've played with it, I really like it too. But other than that, um, are there other tools you recommend and what kind of like considerations should teams have for tooling? Yeah, I, 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 my, I, and I'm a huge TypeScript fan, a huge, huge, um, uh, I, and I was really resistant to it to begin with. Um, uh, and I almost don't see it as a tool as I see it as a, as a, well, I guess it is a tool. Um, but yeah, I would, you know, even if you're not using a framework that's built in TypeScript, um, uh, you know, TypeScript, especially when you're in large enterprise teams, is the, you know, is the is a great way of ensuring that the code you author is going to behave the way that you think it's going to behave. And and it's been a huge step change in there. So, yeah, I can go on and on about TypeScript. But I think from a tooling perspective, I, I was really sort of resistant to to, to Frustrated by Webpack um, uh, a year ago, um, and it's because it, it's a hard, complex tool to understand. Um, but um, it is probably the most powerful tool for creating um, uh, bundles of, of, of JavaScript. And I think there's been a, a major step change uh, in uh, three and four, um, and they've been really sort of resolving a lot of the challenges that that that. That, that we're there with when you have a really powerful tool that's really difficult to understand. Um, and build tooling's always been a challenging area for, for JavaScript. Um, uh, I think Webpack 4 um, uh, and even Webpack 3 have, have improved things a huge amount. But it, again, 
Webpack is is the Swiss Army knife of of uh, tools, which it means that you could almost uh, make a career um, uh, doing uh, JavaScript build tooling itself um, because it is such a complex area. Um, but you can, you know, so big fans of Webpack. Uh, I, you know, there are simpler things out there, like more focused things, like Rollup. Rollup is a good thing, but um, Webpack seems to be the one that's uh, becoming the almost industry standard, um, and uh, with uh, Sean Larkin uh, making the move to to Redmond and into Microsoft, and Microsoft uh, uh, having a focus on tooling as a whole, I th- I think um, uh, we'll probably only see greater things out of Webpack in the future. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I. CSS is a bit of a scattershot approach. I mean, in Dojo 2, we really wanted to focus on uh, post-CSS uh, and having focusing on authoring CSS in CSS modules and, and as future, um, you know, CSS next, uh, you know, and transpilot back to uh, stuff that's supported in browsers. Um, I'm, I'm still a fan of post-CSS, but um, obviously there's a valid set of tools between SAS and LAS and uh, a whole bunch of uh, uh, CSS uh, processors out there that, that make CSS a lot more manageable. Um, uh, so I, 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 there isn't a clear winner in that area in my mind. Um, and then from a debug, I mean, one of the things that uh, has made a huge difference from a testing perspective, even in the last sort of four or five months, has been Chrome releasing headless Chrome uh, uh, and it's sort of incorporating that and uh, Puppeteer and being able to to really test uh, web applications with that, you know, as you would test server code. Um, and I, I still think we have a bit of an evolution and a bit of a road to go there. Um, the other thing that has been a bit risky that I've been seeing is a lot of people, um, even frameworks going, oh, well, all we do is test our code on headless Chrome. <laughs> and we're kind of getting this monoculture of, of uh, as long as I test on Chrome and it works, then it's going to work everywhere. And that's a fallacy, right? It, that's not the way the world works. That's not the, <laughs> our consumers yeah. don't have Chrome, all of them. <laughs> Do you think there's a way that we could implement a framework that changes consumers? Like maybe, you know, just <laughs> you must load this module in your person before you use this module in, our, in your browser. And that, that, that requires a mentality shift that puts people into Chrome. We just... Maybe we can just get rid of programming that way and, and like put modules in people that get done whatever the program was supposed to do. Well, yeah, I mean, years, years ago, I worked in, in tech support for a large uh, um, company that produces fruit uh, um, computers. Um, and um, uh, I, there were several times where I wish we could have, you know, because we, we replaced the, you know, PCs uh, a, a lot. Um, and I, there were several times where I wanted to replace the user because that was actually the, the big problem. <laughs> so, yeah, if we could replace our users sometimes um, and upgrade them um, like we upgrade our frameworks, then that would actually help. <laughs> so one other thing that I, I wind up saying a lot to people because they're like, well, you know, there are all these frameworks and which one do I pick? And one thing that I found is for like 80% of the cases, any of them will work fine. So yeah. I, I guess the other question I have is just, I mean, looking at these, you know, some of them are, you, you evaluate them and it's going to be like, yeah, this, this is better with what we're trying to accomplish. But some, sometimes it's just, you know, an AJ picked out, you know, sometimes it's better just to get to work. 
but uh, you know, uh, for for the other twenty percent of the cases, um, I mean, do you just talk to other people who are doing what you're doing, or is there a way to really know if it's going to pay off or not before actually building your app? Because I find that a lot of times, what I learned while trying to build whatever it is I'm building, that that's where it's like, oh, you know what? Um, I built this one in Angular. I built this other one in React. And I should have built the first one in React. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think um, part of it is is, uh, and it, it, this is more of a team, you know, uh, a mentality too. Is um, uh, you need to build and plan to throw away stuff, right? Because it, let's say even if you choose React and Redux, and I see this far more often with with React and Redux, right? Is that the because there's so many decisions to be made, you'll you'll write uh, an app once and go. Oh, and you learn a huge amount, and then what you need to do is throw it away, <laughs> write it again, um, and I go. Okay, I thought for that. Yeah, and and then finally the third time you're like, oh, okay, uh, now I know what I'm doing, right? Um, and I, I think you have to plan for that, right? It is it is things are so complex, especially if you're going into a new framework. Is is you need to throw away code, right? And you need to not be worry and you know have start break out in a cold sweat because you're throwing away code um that you know if there's one thing that we've improved uh over the last 10 years is it's easy to uh, you know the easier it is to write code the easier it is to throw away code and throwing away code is is actually one of the healthiest things that you can do in my opinion um, i mean i look at stuff i wrote you know a couple of years ago and it i i, I still cringe <laughs> That's really interesting. I remember working on a project. I mean, this was back, you know, more Ruby. But still, you know, we built an app with Rails and we, you know, we, we created a whole bunch of problems in it. So then we kind of went the other way and we created a whole bunch of um, services, microservices with Sinatra. Turned out that going all the way that way didn't make sense either. Um, you know, so we rewrote it once, but there was a huge amount of resistance to rewriting it the third time. Even though we probably could have gotten it done a ton faster, we could have reused some of the code we had already written, and it would have made the maintainability of the app overall over the next several years much, much easier. And I mean, I've I've seen that. I've personally experienced it, and I've I've um, seen that work a lot of times. Right? It's the third time seems to be the magic number, and I'd almost, you know, if if I were being brutally honest, I'd plan. You know, I plan to write it three times, right? Um, and you're right. I think it's that third time where you're kind of... And, and there's parts of... It, it, this was very true on Dojo 2. Um, there were parts of Dojo 2. Um, it was the third time is the bit that actually has been working and has made it into it. Um, and, all, we, you know, we wrote it and threw it away and wrote it again and threw it away. And I, I know one of the big frustrations for Dylan is is, is um, uh, our, our grid component um, was always been a challenge with Dojo Two, and we're, we we were on the we we made the decision to throw away version two of Dojo Two's grid, um, and that was painful because there was a lot of work that went into it. But we knew that that was the right thing to do. But now we hadn't uh, had the time to write version three. Um, uh, uh, so uh, it, it seems like three is is the magic number when it comes to throwing away code. 
Yeah, well, I'm finding that with the UI too. I'm working on an app that helps podcasters manage their scheduling and sponsorships and stuff. And, you know, I have, I have something that works, but I'm reworking a lot of it. And it just comes down to, oh, this isn't quite right, but it's, it's something beyond just a simple tweak. And so I've been having to throw out and rearrange code. And I, I think a lot of times we just fail to give ourselves permission to do that. Yep. Well, and then especially in enterprise development, then then it's one of those things where I think um, uh, the best thing to do is one, as engineers, we have a hard time throwing away code because it's like, well, it's we put a lot of hard, sweat into it. Um, uh, but um, uh, management often is like, why are you throwing away you know code that's good assets? And uh, I think that's one of the things that we have to help. Uh, uh, enterprises understand that that is actually a healthy part of software development. If you, if if you're not throwing away code, um, then that means that you're you, you know you're 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 carrying all that debt forward, right? Um, and oftentimes the best thing to do is is wipe you know wipe it clean and and uh, start again. So, given all of the information that you've put out there, as far as like uh, choosing frameworks and, and making the right decisions. Um, the thing that I wonder at this point is, let's say you're going into a completely greenfield project and you're starting to pull together things and make decisions. What are the first decisions you make? Is it the framework or is it something else? I mean, is this like the second, third, 10th, 90th decision you make? I mean, where does it fit? I, I think the, uh, in my mind is, is that, yeah, there are definitely a couple of prerequisites that, that you should think about uh you know the, the especially the modern sense of development um from a team perspective know who your users are going to be right understand what you actually need to deliver um and if it's uh you know if it's if it's internal users within an enterprise understand what they are what their pain points are you know uh, if it's consumers you know make sure you really understand what you're trying to deliver and then the next phase is is how are you as a team you know a, a going to be structured right how opinionated are you going to be about the user experience is the user experience going to be the 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 value proposition that you're delivering to your users um uh, so you want uh, it's something that you have really fine control over how you're going to create the user experience. Um, and then um, on the other hand, it, you know, if you're saying, uh, actually, it's just we need form fields on there. It's a business application. Um, we're not going to be overly concerned about the user experience uh, from a look and feel perspective. Um, we, we'd be fine with off-the-shelf components. Then, then, then that all of that sort of pre-work kind of feeds it. And then the third area is to be really brutally honest with your capabilities as a team. You know, how good are you at uh, JavaScript and CSS, um, or are you more of uh, of of a uh, you know a more of a functionality focused team, right? Where your skill sets are, are kind of, you need the sort of guide rails to help you through those technical challenges. Um, and then I think you have the right information to begin to, to look at, at frameworks and to figure out which of those kind of fits um, uh, you best. Um, and then do experiments. You know, if you're, if you're going, if somebody on the team's going, oh, well, we, we, we'd be stupid not to use React, right? And you're not comparing that to something else, then you're probably making a mistake. 
Awesome. Well, is there anything else that we should uh, recommend to folks trying to make these decisions before we get to our picks? From my perspective, it's it's you know experiment and be honest with yourself and your team on on what you're really capable of, and leave your religion at the door. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, let's go. Ahead nice. and yeah, absolutely. Let's do some picks. For you, the listeners of JavaScript Jabber, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Amy, do you have some picks for us? I do. So one of them I actually uh, just found this morning as I was surfing Hacker News, which I do um, pretty often. And I thought it was really pertinent because it reminded me of uh, some questions that kind of arose when I did the boot camp. So um, I purposely went to a six month one because I thought that, you know, not only do I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure how much you can really cram into 10 to 12 weeks, but also I wondered you know, not just like the amount of information, but when you're learning that quickly, how much of it actually sticks. And so um, this was just uh, on the NPR blog and um, it was, uh, would college students retain more if professors dialed back the pace? And so really like the article pretty much says yes. So that kind of proves what I was thinking as far as the boot camp. Obviously it's different for different people. Anyway, so I'll post a link to that in the show notes. For my second pick, I'm going to pick uh, something, you know, I've had uh, problems in the past where users of the applications that I'm working on, they actually want um, like a certain page printed out. And obviously you can provide like a separate style sheet for this, but that can be a little bit of a pain. So this is just a URL you can uh, go to, put a URL in, and it's going to spit out a nicely formatted PDF of that URL. So um, that is my second pick. And then I'm going to do a third pick, too, because I've been speaking on CSS a lot recently. Uh, and it was uh, a Medium post that I saw recently. So for anybody who's like entering the ecosystem now, it just kind of um, gives a historical view of how, you know, where CSS got started, you know, um, and kind of like the pace and uh, the different implementations and how things have changed in the last couple of years and where we are now. So that would be my third pick. And that is it for me. All right, AJ, what are your picks? Let me just unmute myself here. Um, so I've got a great pick. Uh, last week, uh, this this day, Tuesday, I went to sleep. But then that night, I woke up with a fever. And I stayed in bed pretty much until yesterday, um, for the most part, because I was just... Cause I was like really stressed a couple weeks before with uh, some stuff going on. And, and then I think my body just collapsed. And so, you know, I, I popped some Advil to try to get the fever down and, and that worked okay. And then I tried some naproxen and then I, you know, just played ring around the rosies in the medicine cabinet with uh, a couple different things, trying to get 
these flu symptoms to go away. And I'm not, I'm not a big medicine person, but I, I really needed something to, to make me feel like I'd be able to sleep so my body could rest. And, um, eventually my wife picked up some Tylenol cold and flu severe and that it's just magic. It's just magic. You just, you drink it 30 milliliters at a time and you go to sleep and then you wake up a couple days later rested and feeling great again. So I just recommend if you are feeling the flu during this flu season, you go get yourself some Tylenol and you just chug that sucker down according to the directions and as your doctor recommends. Nice. I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. So I've been, uh, like I said, I've been working on this app for podcasters. And I have to say that uh, one of the best places that I've been able to uh, go to just to get input on this stuff is Facebook. And so I think sometimes we all discount Facebook. You know, I think most people in the tech community, at least that I talk to, prefer Twitter. But if you want, if you want feedback from people um, in a quick way, I, I've been finding Facebook to be really, really helpful. So I'm going to pick Facebook groups. And then I've been rereading a couple of books, uh, mainly at the behest of my business coach. And uh, one of them that I just really, really like and has made a difference for me is um, the 12 week year. So if you're looking at planning and goals and how to make all that work, um, I can't recommend highly enough the 12 week year. And if you have read it and you're looking for somebody to do, to do the weekly accountability meetings with, I am looking for a group. So uh, just keep that in mind. And then um, the last thing that I'm going to pick is kind of a recent discovery. I had a friend of mine recommend um, the Google Drive for business. And I am totally digging that. I think part of it's just that I get a blank slate to, you know, to put stuff in that hasn't kind of grown into this massive mess over you over the years, like Dropbox has. Um, but I'm really liking it. You basically get unlimited storage, and um, you can assign stuff and make it owned by teams instead of by um, by you or by individuals. So I'm really digging that. So I'm going to pick uh, Google Drive for business. Now I'm using that with um, the Google Apps or whatever they call it now, G Suite, I think it is. So, uh, you know, if you're just on Gmail, I don't, I don't know how exactly that works, but for me, I'm pretty happy with it. So I'm going to pick that, uh, Kitson, what are your picks? Um, I actually, partly due to, uh, my new role, um, everybody talking about cloud and, and so there was a little bit of, uh, making sure I was up to speed and I had experimented from a personal perspective with AWS before and just found it really frustrating and i thought well um i i need to uh, get a better understanding of of uh, you know the other options out there and um and again i've fallen into the uh, microsoft I, I used to loathe everything uh microsoft uh and now i find myself secretly becoming a fanboy um and so i tried uh, azure um uh, and got a developer account on on azure and was like wow this is actually usable um, uh, and uh, got myself up to speed uh, quite quickly with it. Uh, wow, I can see why people are, are using it. Um, uh, and uh, um, uh, so I would suggest experiment with it, especially if you've ever dealt with AWS, um, uh, especially from an individual developer perspective, uh, getting JavaScript uh, functions, serverless functions running uh, up in the cloud was super easy compared to uh, trying to get uh, Lambda stuff running up there. Um, so, um, I, I would, I 
especially if you're curious to, um, because I think everybody's going to be talking about it and having a good grounding in that as a developer is probably a, a good idea. Um, and uh, on the other hand, um, uh, from a not probably in the corporate, but I've found it from a personal perspective, uh, which is similar, is, is uh, now Zeit um, has to be the most usable um, uh, uh, cloud deployment uh, tooling uh, way. My personal uh, website I've been hosting uh, on uh, now site um, for a year, and it's got to be the dead easiest, um, most straightforward way of uh, deploying uh, web apps to the cloud. Um, and uh, you know, so enterprise grade uh, Microsoft and and uh, personal. Probably enterprise grade two um, is is actually a site. So um, those are my two picks. Awesome. Um, yeah, but I've heard good things about Zite. So cool stuff. Um, if people want to follow you, uh, Kitson, and see what you're working on these days, uh, are you on Twitter or GitHub or where do they go? Yep, uh, both uh, Twitter, GitHub, uh, uh, Kitson K. A-I-T-S-O-N-K on, on both, well, pretty much anywhere um, you can find me uh, with that. So, um, uh, but yeah, um, uh, I'll be attending uh, the TSConf in um, uh, Seattle in, in March, um, the first uh, TypeScript conference. Um, we've got um, uh, tickets are still on sale for that as well, too. Um, but it's the first, uh, first focused TypeScript conference uh, in the globe. Cool. Yeah, gotta love the TypeScript. All right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, and we will uh, catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>